0: Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review.
1: Hello, and welcome to the next episode of the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today I have with me Anthony. Welcome to the show, man. Glad to be here, Mads. Pleasure to have you, pleasure to have you. So Anthony, for the people who don't yet know you, would you mind doing a, a brief introduction about yourself and what you do and so on?
0: Sure. Uh, I'll give you the briefest version I can. <laughs> uh, essentially, I'm a, an, oh, say an entrepreneur. I manage a remote team right now with my wife, who's the co-founder of our uh, current startup. Uh, called Founders Connect, and I also um, manage uh, for one of my clients, I'm managing their marketing, their growing marketing department. Uh, and I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But essentially, my background is in IT. I uh, spent six years, or well, yeah, just about six years, working uh, as a, a call center manager for Hewlett Packard um the the printing you know computer company uh based in sydney did that for a number of years and then uh was i went from taking calls in the service desk to then managing the team of 10 staff uh on location and then within two years uh that entire team was uh, transitioned or outsourced um to india and then i then naturally went into a project manager role uh, and then went over to india and spent some time over there in bangalore training up the new team to that replace the team that i had in sydney which was both exciting and also both challenging because obviously i had relationships with every single person that worked for me uh, and i had to let them go um, which is never fun so that uh, experience taught me a lot about management and taught me a lot about um working with people uh, you know on an intimate level uh, and that eventually led to to me moving to Canada uh, and then getting into the world of social media and working with some nonprofits and uh led me down a path of digital marketing which is where we land today.
1: Excellent. That sounds exciting and we we definitely have some similarities in our past so that's cool man. Okay, that sounds super exciting. So what um like the first question I will really love asking is like, what's your management philosophy? Like, how do you look at management, and how do you, like, how do you think management?
0: That's a great question. Uh, for me, it's it, it's really. Uh, I wish it would be as simple as it's a simple formula that everyone can follow. And as you know full well, it's not. <laughs> um, and I always look to to what what's really. Uh, so it helps with my own philosophy around this is looking at what I deem as great leaders and great managers that have worked that I've worked under, um, and what it comes down to really is for me um, how three elements. One is people, um, so really knowing and understanding people. Uh, the second is understanding self, uh, and, and and our individual role within within that, uh, and then the third is. Um, understanding communication and how to effectively communicate uh, across different, whether it's departments, industries, people, uh, discipline, skills, so and technology, of course. So, so they're kind of the three, to me is sort of a triangle of management, if you will, and, and uh, if, we, if we can sort of attack each one of those um, effectively, then we'll, we'll do well uh, in terms of being able to manage. And that, that self piece that I mentioned also a big part of it for me is around the ability to inspire. Uh, and, and that's really uh, leadership, really, is what I'm talking about. But that, that is a key component of being an effective manager.
1: Yep. That, that sounds super exciting. So I, I would definitely agree with a lot of those. I think personally, I, I mean, I always say that communication is the single most frequent we, behavior we engage in as human beings, right? And I think it's such a shame that fewer people actually spend time studying communication and improving communication. And even when you look at it, when people go to university and take a communication degree, it's crap, right? Like it, it doesn't actually talk much about communication. It's all general. It's all, you know, it, it's probably high level to some extent, but it doesn't really go into what is human communication. How are you effective with people around you when you communicate, right? And I think as a manager, definitely that's the... That's the number one thing I felt that I, I, I learned the most, right? And, and that I benefited from the most because when when you improve your communication, it's not just in that company, right? It's just as much your friendships, your relationships, and everything that comes along with it. Uh, so 100% agree on, on that piece for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I completely resonate with that, Mads. Uh, like I, what came to me when you said that was an experience I had. Uh, if I go back six years ago, I... I was was stranded in Toronto, I was let go of uh, my role as a project manager for for HP um, due to the global recession Uh, and I was on my way out anyway, I kind of felt that's where where I was going with my career Uh, but what happened was I ended up taking up a 100% commission sales role walking on the streets of Toronto in the winter, minus 30 degrees, snowing, uh, knocking on 30 doors a day and getting rejected 99% of the time. and I really learned about uh, difference between communication styles and and leadership, self-leadership uh, in that in that role. And one thing that, that what, what you just said there, what, what came to me was um, the guy who was my mentor, who I learned from, um, uh, his name's Leon. He has a very specific way of being, a specific way of showing up as a leader and, and training and also doing the sales role. Right? He was very effective at what he did. He was the number one seller in our team. Uh, and I was essentially modeling him. This is what we do, and we, we learn to manage, or we learn to lead. We, we, we tend to model, you know, the, the people who, who are leading us, uh, and I very quickly learned that that management style, the leadership style that, that he had and the sales style that he had was not me, uh, and, and I wasn't getting the same results. And so my director at the time said to me, you know, you can't be Leon. You have to be Ant right? Like you have to be the guy that shows up uh, as you and be authentic and vulnerable and real, uh, no BS, um, and, and just speak to people like you normally would, right? And once I, once I sort of took that philosophy and, and sort of embodied that, uh, my results shifted and I was getting, you know, like going from zero sales a week to three sales a week um, and nothing more. And it wasn't because I apply it so much on the technical skill of selling. um, It was more really because of that shift of psychology. So that's an interesting lesson. Yeah,
1: I I love it and and 100% that's exactly what I teach managers, right? Like everyone's like, they're looking up to people like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and people like that. They're like, wow, they're so great. I wanna be like them. And the thing is when you try and be someone you're not, like obviously, there is some people that have similarities with these guys and similar behaviors, but but most people don't. And the thing is, when you're trying to be someone that you're not, uh, particularly if it makes you uncomfortable, you, you're never gonna be good at it, right? Like if if, if you want to be like Elon Musk and calling up your employees at three AM in the morning because there's a problem and you know that kind of thing, like. The way the way he pushes people, the way he is with people in general, like if you're not like him, you will feel so uncomfortable trying to be like him, and fundamentally, you're you're gonna end up being super ineffective, right? Like being ten percent of what he is uh, in mm. the wrong areas isn't isn't what's gonna make the difference, right? The difference is really really gonna come from you really getting to know yourself, right? And I like I, I primarily teach it to the this framework where basically people learn to, to understand their own strength and limitations and communication styles, et cetera, because I, I think fundamentally, like I even think self learning is more important than, you know, learning how to uh, learning the strength and weakness of others, because like even as a good manager, if you can really hone in on your key strength, and really utilize that to, you know, push yourself and the team forward. And that that really just make things so much easier, right? So it sounds like you definitely have a similar revelation with the sales role. Absolutely, yep, 100%. Excellent. Wow, and I'm jealous. I mean, I, I wish walking around in <laughs> minus 30 degrees, that it.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not, I don't know, you're crazy, man. That's not, I wouldn't uh, wish that on my worst enemy. <laughs>
1: that's uh no i'm I'm not that jealous but uh but it sounds like an adventure at least so
0: yeah that's that's kind of the way i approached it (laughs) thankfully it only lasted three months (laughs) but i learned a lot good
1: yeah i think when you first start with with new roles like I, I see I see it happen to people all the time, right? You have all these young people who take an education, they then get out and get a job and then they realise, Oh shit, I hate this stuff. Right? And I always feel it's such a shame. Like it's probably different in in some countries, but in Denmark where I'm from, you get paid to study. So like a lot of people kinda of take some random education, they don't really know much about it and you know, they end up with a degree and they realise they don't like it, so they go take another one right? Um, but but I think even, even in the US and in places where you actually pay for the education, I, I really feel it's such a shame people don't get to test it first, right? Because when you get out there and do it, like even at a lower level, you get a much better view into what it actually is, right? So it's, yeah.
0: That, it's, yeah I mean, that's a, yeah, sorry to jump in there. That, uh, that's a very, very powerful point and uh, I'm with you on the education system I, I paid for uh, unlike why well, I, I grew up in Australia so I paid for my education uh, my tertiary education and that was I came out with I don't know 20 or 30,000 dollars in debt <laughs> by the time I graduated um, and but if we look at what did I actually learn from that right um it was the things that happened outside of the classroom it was actually more about what i was doing on a basketball court and connecting with people and leading the team there or uh, i I got into counter-strike in a big way after around the time i graduated uh and was running strategies uh inside the game you know with with some of my mates uh and we were playing these games like just ridiculous but we were we were single and had nothing to do so we played games all night and all day uh and but what I really liked about it was the strategic piece and looking at how do we win the wars, how do we win the battles, uh, how do we how do we align the resources so we get the, you know the best opportunity to win to win each round. Um, and and these, it's like, <laughs> I think I learned more. <laughs> it's a bit weird for me to say this, but I always feel like I learned more playing those games than I did in some of the classes at university, right? Um, and yeah. uh, I'm with you. I, I think there's there's nothing that can really beat real world experience. Like you know, even if you read a hundred. Psychology books or leadership books. It's very different when you have to go out and lead real people, with, you know, in real situations.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And I, I think we have a lot more in common than I than I initially expected. So, I've uh, I've been on the same train. So I, I, we also did play a bunch of Counter-Strike and, and for me, it was the same thing. Like, I loved the team aspect. I loved all that stuff. Uh, it wasn't, I mean, the individual plays was what it was, right? But but for me, it was always the team aspect. And actually, when I was probably only about 15, I played a game called Diablo. Nice. Oh, um, yes. big, big clan things. And, and I remember, like, at the time, I found it very natural. And I, I remember uh, going like I was only 15 at the time, so I kind of had to get my parents' approval to go meet everyone and stuff. But we we basically had a meetup with like 60 people and I realized I was 15 and the second youngest was 19 or something. And every like most people I was actually playing with on a daily basis was, you know, 30, 35, 40 years old. And, you know, like very quickly, I found myself as the clan leader and it was was really, really interesting dynamics at the age, right? Because I... (laughs) like i hadn 't expected when it, age was not one of those things you would talk about very frequently right like mm. I, I kind of notice people mentioning their boyfriends and girlfriends, and some of them had kids and stuff, but it just it, it never came out and it, it was like that real life experience I, I definitely like sort of getting in the management game like i I could draw on that like significantly right and i I totally agree with you with that real life experience like it doesn 't really matter that much where you get it. um and I'd say, actually, so I, I run an outsourcing business where sort of one, one of the criterias we love looking for when we're hiring virtual assistants is gamers. So for various mm. reasons, it's both the community role, but it's also the fact that gamers are generally very good with computers. They're generally very fast. They're not sitting like typing with a two-finger system because then you wouldn't win any game in the world. So, yeah. I love that. That's really cool. So that's a, uh, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Um, and what, what, what do you think? Like, obviously you moved around various countries as well. How do you feel that impacted you?
0: Yeah. So uh, I essentially, I got married. So before, let's, I'll take you back four years ago when I met my now wife uh, and we, after we got married, we then decided to become nomads and do the whole digital nomad thing. So we traveled for 18 months with our laptops and worked, uh, building at My, um, our, well, it was my, now it's our, but it was my, um, digital agency. We, we had a content writing team, um, five writers, two editors, and we did this remotely. Uh, and, uh, I learned a lot during that time just about the dynamics and the challenges of remote work, uh, and remote leadership. Uh, and, and you know, and it's, it looks good. And, you know, it's, it's, everyone gets sucked in by the the Instagram pictures and everything like that. But uh, the reality is very different. Like I literally had to shut down part of my business because um, of the, just the difficulty of managing clients in specific time zones. Like a lot of our clients were in Australia. Uh, We were, you know, at one point we were in Asia Another part we were in Canada. And uh, we just, you know, in between all that, we were on flights and trying to, like move between locations and find Wi-Fi and stable internet and working out where we're going to live and all these things. And um, we learned very quickly that it's, it's one thing to, to live a nomadic lifestyle, but it's another to build a business um, at the same time and to do that effectively. And it really comes down to having effective systems in place, having the right team members, um, you know, on board or the right leadership team uh, and then also having, like just really good communication channels with your clients and, and being clear on expectations, you know, cause like, that's the thing, just because you're moving around, that's when your clients are, and they, and they're expecting you know the results. They want delivery on time, you know, on schedule, um, within budget and these sort of things. And for us that became a a really challenging, uh, part of the process. Okay. So I've learned a lot about that and that kind of led to, um, this summit that we just put together the remote business summit uh, last week, and we we essentially wanted to invite uh, Practitioners who had who are building remote teams who are you know uh, ad- advocates for remote work um, everything from legal through to uh, sales and marketing through uh, HR and recruitment all of those different aspects um, to talk about these, these challenges so um, because we, I had experienced that myself, but then I wanted to see, okay, what's the difference between someone who has a team of, you know, five contractors to someone maybe like you, uh, who has a lot more than that. And then we've had some people who had teams of hundreds of remote workers. Uh, so we wanted to understand, yeah, what were the, what were the challenges as you begin to scale? Uh, and that's what we brought um, as part of the summit.
1: And, and I love how that ties in because exactly, I mean, I've been a digital nomad as well now for, for a long time, right? and, and what i love the most how that ties into the conversation is the fact that it comes back down to communication right like communication and expectation setting if you want to do it successfully it is so critical right most people think they can kind of you know hide and no one will know and stuff right that's just when you're traveling around particularly asia like there's so much stuff that will just happen right so you have to make very very sure that you have so clear expectations with clients and so on. And you have to, I mean, I I generally do what I call slow metting, which means we, a lot of time we we travel around fairly slowly. So stay somewhere two, three, four months maybe. So, you know, we get settled in and so on. And I'm very good at, I've learned to become very good at managing my calendar uh, so that I have sort of good expectations to myself. Like when I'm really, you know, pushing, when I'm really delivering and sort of when there's periods where, you know, things might not be so good because we are traveling a lot or things are changing a lot, et cetera. Right. But, but again, like for me, the fundamentals, it still comes down to critical communication with your clients.
0: Yeah. And that, uh, that's uh, spot on, you know, one of the, um, speakers uh we had on on the summit was uh her name's kimberly and she uh is a an expert in hr uh, particularly for remote teams and um what she shared was quite insightful in in the sense that um she said you know people think about remote management as uh you know like if, if if you're having problems with your culture and building a remote culture um often we we tend to think of it as it's an issue with the technology or the tools that we're using to communicate or these sort of things um but 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 it's really that that's an easy scapegoat um what it does remote what it does more than than anything else it actually highlights the flaws that you already have within your culture right so if you if you are already not if your culture is one that's not already open then by making a remote is not gonna resolve that problem. What it does, it actually just makes it worse. <laughs> and people yep. can see that you don't have an open culture. So, uh, you know, if, if people start, if you, some of your employees start to, uh, you know, they're not showing up to work anymore or they're not submitting their reports or they're not you know, jumping on Slack and communicating with you. Um, it's easy for them on the other end just to say, hey, I'm sick today or, or make up some bullshit. Um, but you won't know. And the next thing you know, you're getting a resignation or they just disappear. You know, like this is a very common freelancers disappear and you don't hear from them and, and but you still got a project you need to deliver. So, um, and one of the things that, that Kimmy talks about and also Liam Martin, who's the, the, the co-founder of Time Doctor um, and, and running remote, he basically talked about that because he's got about 240 staff remotely right now. Uh, and he said, you know, um, one of the ch- one question I asked to him was around uh, the tool that he's got. Basically, Time Doctor is a time tracking tool. Um, yeah. I'm using, I'm using. I don't know if that's what you use, but I'm using um, what's the one i have got. I've got Toggle. Uh, he uses he's built Time Toggle. Uh, sorry, Time uh, Doctor. And he and one thing I said to him was, well, essentially, what you're doing is you're giving business owners or managers, uh, this tool, which allows people to track their time and you pay this can pull all that data and you can see who's working and not working. Um, but that's really, a, isn't that micromanagement? Isn't that, uh, you know, like for me, I, I hate being in that way. I don't like someone telling me to track my time. Right. Um, but he raised a really good argument against that and said, well, here's the thing. If you, if you as a leader make it, uh, transparent, that, that, or the employees can also view the leaders time, right? So now everyone has access to everyone's time reports. Um, Then that's an an open culture and very different to one where the intention is, we're just gonna track you because we don't trust you, right? So um, it it really comes back to what you said earlier about communication and then what is the type of culture that you're trying to build within your organization, right? And you need to start at at that point, what are the key values, right? Because if, if transparency is not one of those values, then being remote will only highlight that even more and you're going to have major issues trying to trying to build that team.
1: Yeah, 100%. I, I know Liam pretty well and, and uh, yeah, I've used Time Doctor for many years. Um, so a couple of, of key points on that one actually. So the, like I, I work with a lot of agencies, for example, and... The benefit for them in doing time tracking is not so much like tracking the time, making sure people work, because, again, that should happen no matter what, right? Um, but actually, it's more getting clear understanding of cost. Because yes. when, when you're running an agency, you very often don't have a good view on how much time is actually being dedicated to individual clients. And often the ones who shout loudest get the most and all that sort of thing right but but when you actually when you start tracking time and when you start saying okay you know if people pay us $1000 a month we will give them x amount of hours each month when you know that and when you have a good framework for that that actually helps you secure that your agent uh, that your clients are getting a fair treatment they are all getting what they pay for uh, and and you don't sort of have like totally unexpected wow i didn't expect we spent 40 hours on this one thing i thought that was a five minute job right so totally get where you're coming from and i and i i agree in most cases but there's definitely use cases where it can be very beneficial and fundamentally even when i started out in management myself like i would actually track my own time a lot because i think i think most people don't know where the time goes and I'm, i'm a sort of big fan of Drucker and and sort of his management views. And and he he talks a lot about that sort of like get to understand where's your time going. And because most people say they have one priority, but when you look at the calendar, you know, it's like the calendar is full off with everything else and their priority. Right. So uh, I I think learning time management or I I don't even call time management, I call it priority management. I, I think that's critical for, for, business owner success and, and really tracking time, if you're using it the right way, I, I think it can be a very, very powerful tool, right? Now, for, from from our outsourcing business, we, we do also use it to track time because, again, uh, for us, a lot of clients are very curious about making sure they get what they pay for. So that I, I, I respect that to some some level i, I, I don 't necessarily agree with the, the focus they have when they focus like that, but you know that 's often the case with clients right um, but, but I think yeah. fundamentally like getting the right view of why you 're doing it if you 're solely doing it because you don 't trust your staff, then you haven 't really built a good culture right and I think that 's the fundamentals.
0: Yeah, Peter Drucker, I've got his quote here on my desktop, you know, what gets measured gets managed, that one (laughs) that everyone talks about. Um, And and I'm with you on that. Like I think resource allocation and understanding how you are um, allocating your resources is critical to profitability, right? So if you don't know, and this is something I faced with with our content agency was we, like I would do do a task first um, because the way I started off with was I was copywriting first and I was doing, you know, blogs and articles, Uh, as a freelancer and then got to a point where I was at capacity. And then I thought, okay, well, I need to, in order to grow this, I need to actually grow the team. So I hired my first copywriter. Um, But what I then noticed was, wait a minute, something that would take me three hours was taking this person six hours. What's going on? And the only way I knew that was because I was looking at the time tracker, right? And then I started to ask my team uh, as we grew the team to actually start tracking their time and submitting time reports. Um, and I had to explain to them, yeah, it's not because I'm, I'm, I'm managing you like in that way and I don't trust you. It's, it's I want to understand how, how, how can we get more efficient uh, and how, how what's our actual true capacity? Uh, so if I'm going out there and, and selling a service uh, that we can actually deliver that. Because I think one big problem, um, particularly with small business, is we can really overpromise de- over, over uh, and underdeliver and then, then, that's, then we suffer right? Because then we lose credibility, we have all kinds of problems with, with um, the, the business and the brand. Uh, and that's something that, that time tracking specifically and resource management and resource allocation uh, has been able to help me to, to do. And I, one of my clients that, that you know really well is, is being ninjas. Um, and like I learned a lot of that from Meryl, uh, who's the CEO, uh, and, and, and Wayne, because they they are very good at utilizing uh, Rike, is the project management tool that they're using. Um, and using that because of its resource allocation and resource management uh, capabilities, right? Um, something like an Asana or a Trello doesn't really have that level of detail. Um, uh, I think Asana's probably trying to get there, but uh, what, what we are able to pull from each individual is, and I can do run my own reports on my just on my time because I'm tracking it, like every task or activity I'm doing, I'm tracking that. I can budget time in the same way that we would budget money or funds like towards a marketing or sales campaign. We can actually say, well, you know, and if I only works fifteen hours a week. What's the best way to allocate that time for that particular resource? Uh, and then we actually track against the, the the reality, which is you know actually what I thought would take four hours took five hours or whatever it may be. Uh, and, and you know the, the biggest challenge as a manager, uh, and because I work with um, I've got content people now that work under me, and I basically manage their their time. Uh, and so I have to really understand you know where our projects being delayed, where where are we, where can we actually deliver more training Uh, and i'm working with my writers and my editors to understand hey you know look i see this is taking you you know x amount of hours um why do you feel that's the case and where we can actually it it allows us to have conversations around how do we improve as an organization and that's the key
1: yeah and it's like I, i work a lot with seo companies as an example right and it's so interesting working with them because they, like most SEOs, are very detail-oriented perfectionists, right? And yes. very often with anything they do, they, they kind of, they have this 20 million step checklist. And I'm like, wait a minute. If a client is paying you five hundred bucks or a thousand dollars a month, right? Like your goal is not to go through a checklist and check off like seven million boxes. Your goal is to actually provide a great ROI with the, for them within a short period of time. So instead of doing everything all the time, you really want to have actually your skill set is developing an understanding and saying what's the eighty twenty? Where do I get the biggest bang for buck? very quickly, right? Because if you have a checklist that take you six months to complete, and after six months they start seeing some benefits, but those benefits are actually in reality coming from 10 or 20% of those items that you've gone through, like you've really spent a lot of their money on delivering not a lot of results, right? And that ability to sort of look at age 20, I think generally from an agency standpoint, right, is, is really critical.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's easy for for agencies specifically to get caught in, in focusing on the wrong thing. And, and I'm, I'm not going to say this is only limited to agencies, but I definitely have experience in that world. Um, I, I think it's just a case of, of focus. And we have to learn as, as leaders and managers and business owners uh, where to focus our time and energy. Um, and if we're always caught, it, this is the biggest challenge I had from going to, from freelancer to business owner, was understanding. Where I really needed to focus that time, right? Um, so the shift started to occur to okay, well, first of all, if I'm going to bring people on, I need all these processes documented. I need to do, have training videos for the staff. So that's that's more uh, consistent uh, because at, at the beginning, I'm just training one person at a time and it's not, you know, people pick up what they pick up. But if you have a clearly documented SOP and you, you know, you might not have a thousand point checklist, um, but certainly if at least having Taking the step of documenting the process and then reviewing it with the goal of how do we simplify uh, and, and and reduce it, not increase it, uh, and still you know get this, a similar level of output or improved output, uh, and then like speaks to what you're talking about, and, and it's making sure that we actually get the result for the client at the end of the day, um, and and we can't lose focus on that if we're doing if we're in business.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Right, that's good. That's good. Any any particular thoughts on like? A lot of the people I work with, right, one of the first things they say when they come to me is always like, oh, I don't like managing people. How, how, how did you experience your management growth? Like, did you enjoy it from the beginning or did you find it tough in the in the start or how have you sort of been through that journey?
0: So I'm going to, uh, I can give you the cheat answer and say I was naturally gifted that way, but that's not the answer. Um, essentially, uh, for me, I had to learn... I had to learn how to become a better manager and a better leader, right? Like for me, uh, I I went from being the the subject matter expert, you know, within a specific role and a specific function inside of HP. Uh, I then applied for when the manager opportunity came along, uh, I went head to head against uh, a colleague of mine who had actually been in the company a little longer than I was. So if, 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 if they were hiring just on, um, tenure, then I would have lost. But the reason I actually won uh, and got the role was the feedback given to me was because of how I had really naturally built relationships with the people in the team. And this is the the interesting thing, sort of the follow on effect of that was I think about seven years later, um, that particular individual came back to me. He was going for a role as a director at um, EY Um, uh, and he basically said to me, I need to learn how to play the social game. Because, you know, I've done as much as I can from a skill level and, and, and a subject matter expert level, but the directors aren't looking at me because they don't, I don't go to drinks with them. I don't have those, those you know, coffee meetings and these sort of things I know nothing about who they are and they know nothing about me. Uh, and that's really, if there's one takeaway I would give to anyone listening to this conversation now is really focus on your social skills and not only just the ability to sit down with someone who's above your level at your level and and have a human conversation. Um, but also looking at yourself and understanding, you know, what, where are, where are your blind spots? Where are your, your strengths? Uh, and a really good, you mentioned DISC earlier, uh, a really, uh, another good um, profiling system that I would recommend is called, it's one called Talent Dynamics. Uh, and this is a really good, uh, there's a, there's a, another one called Wealth Dynamics, but they're kind of the same thing. Uh, and it really helps you to understand and uncover, you know, based on your personality, your skill sets, your experience, where, where you should be like, what's the best role you should be in. And the, the sad thing I see is a lot of, particularly in a lot of, you mentioned SEOs and people like that, um, a lot of developers, usually we, we promote people based on how long they've been in a company. Like, okay, you know, Mark's been a developer for us for the last 10 years, we're gonna make, Mark the manager and, and that's essentially what happened to me. And it's like, well, I don't have the experience to be the, I don't know how to manage people. And I didn't like it at first. Like your question, did I love it? No, Um, I had to learn. I love people and talking to people, but performance reviews, I hated. Like that was not, I I had to learn that process and learn how to do it effectively. Um, And something somewhere along my career, what happened was uh, I ended up working for a co-working space, one of Australia's largest co-working spaces. Uh, for a couple of years as their, their marketing manager and um, the, what I learned from that was sh- the, when you shift from being the manager and the the person of authority to being a coach and a mentor the co- the, the way you relate to your, your employees and the people you are leading changes both for you and for them right so now I'm not focused necessarily on hey here's the 10 things you should be doing and you're doing these wrong. Um, what we're looking at is, hey, maybe these were the KPIs we agreed upon when you came into the role uh, and last quarter or whatever the time duration is. And okay, you hit those two, wonderful. That one you didn't quite get. Why do you think that occurred? And, and how can I support you to make sure that happens next time? And so it actually, um, you know, the shifting of the focus and the shifting of the conversation uh, and how we communicate determines and the type of questions we ask determines what kind of results we get from the people we're working with. And a big, uh, I guess a, a big tool in my toolkit uh, that has helped me do this is uh, NLP. So neuro-linguistic programming was something that I, um, I did a sort of master's training maybe six or seven years ago now, um, but that stayed with me for life. Like that just that's all about just understanding what are our patterns of belief, what are the behaviors that we exhibit um, how to be be self-aware but also be aware of those in others right and then be able to reflect those back to them uh and say look at least i'm observing from you you know and 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 is this it could be wrong but it could be but in most cases it's it's people are very open to being given constructive feedback and positive feedback right uh it's only when we approach it as a uh to beat someone with a stick for doing something wrong that's when when typically we don't respond too well like for me i don't like that i don't like someone telling me hey you're screwed up um but if it's more around you know these this is what we agreed to achieve and you didn't achieve this like what came up for you and how can we sort of work together to improve that um i'm open for that conversation right yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah
1: no that's really good and and i think like Fundamentally, for me, like I, I really like the, the the high level mindset of you know be, being able to really take that to the next level. Like being able to to look at individuals and really look at their skill set, look at their strengths, and and really communicate well with them, both when they fail and they succeed. So, I, I again, I find it really important to understand people because just like you said, what. Some people, you know, you have to be very careful when you give them feedback. Some people, it's opposite. Like some people, you have to be, you know, really, really firm uh, for them to respect it enough, right? Like a lot of people, uh, well, everyone have different ways, but 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 for a lot of people that I've worked with, particularly uh, corporate, like a lot of the time they were they were used to uh, like a certain firmness, and and that was. That was one of the things I struggled the most with in the beginning, right? Because I was, you know, I was trying to be nice and polite and a bit, like you said, like doing performance reviews was scary and stuff. But but I very quickly figured out that, you, you know, some people need it in different ways. Some some mm. people you really tiptoe around and, and some people, like for them to take it serious, you have to really sit down with them and, you know, not start screaming, but you have to be very, very firm, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I was going to say that Doug, I love that you said that because it, it goes back to what I like for me it's about bringing data bringing facts to the table when you have when you're being firm because because it's one thing for you to say look uh, you know as your leader or as your manager I feel that you're not doing good in this area but you know or I like here's an assumption, but if you remove the assumptions and just deliver the data and the facts and say, look, here's, here was the K, this was the KPI, this was the metric, this is what was achieved, okay, help me understand what happened, right? Yeah. And, and that's, that's – there's no rebuttal. Like, someone who's on the other side of that cannot say, oh, you know, um, the numbers are wrong. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> like that's, that's – it's very hard to do that, right? So um, it, it's the approach to providing feedback that's important and that's what you're highlighting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no,
1: that's that's really interesting. And I I really like how you got into it and and, and so on. And and it's exactly like most people, like I, I always sort of frame it the same way. But fundamentally, the thing is, when you're not good at something, you generally don't like it. So the, the reason why most people start a business is generally because you know they, they learn a skill, they become good at something, they start liking it. And, and for me, management is the same. I mean, there's very few people who are naturally just good at management. And even if they are, they learned it, for example, playing computer games or you know, do, doing things where they naturally, or where, where they develop some of the skills without actually thinking so much about it, right? Um, but, but really that ability to, to sit down and, and learn a skill, like most people, if they, you know, if you can figure out social media, if you can figure out like becoming an SEO, like management ain't that complex. Right there's obviously a lot of nuances to it, and there's a lot of things you can and cannot do. But but uh, like again, if you look at it from an eighty twenty twenty standpoint, like if you're already a business owner, you already have a lot of the logical mindsets. But but taking that next step of of, of really learning management is is critical for the success, and that's actually where I kind of I, I keep beating up businesses for this because. I see so many large corporations, even like HP and the likes, where they just aren't investing. Like they promote people into a new role, and they aren't actually investing in their skill set. And I, f- I find it mind-boggling that that you know they'll hire someone for a developer and they'll train them for two months, but they they give someone a managerial position and they're like kind of like, okay, on Monday you're manager. Here you go. And <laughs> I'm not sure what your experience is with that, but but definitely from my side, I, I see it like constantly.
0: Yeah, no, I've, I've experienced that and I've seen that. And I see that uh, any size of business, small business through to corporate, uh, I've definitely seen the, f- the failure to acknowledge that leadership and management are very specific skill sets. Uh, and it's, it's really difficult just to give someone an e-learning course and go, go away and sit on that for four weeks and come back and, you know, these people come back and they, they get all the ticks and 100% in the, in the exam. Uh, but then you say, okay, go out there now and lead three people. Uh, and they're a real mess um, There's something that uh, I wanted to touch back on That you said Mads Which, which is around um, uh, It reminded me of uh uh, something one of my mentors his name is jeffrey slater and and, and he's worked with all t- sizes of organizations and he um once so i learned coaching through him um and, and he basically shared with me this concept or this idea that that still resonates which is that your clients will always hide behind your shadows uh, and i will tweak that a little bit for this conversation and say your team members and your staff will always hide behind your shadows and what that means is that if you have a fear right if, if you do not address a specific weakness in your ability to communicate or your ability to show up in a certain way, um, you know, courageously or fearlessly or whatever it is, um, you know, for your team members, then they will do the same and reflect that back to you, right? Like if, if you're not willing to open a door with transparency and say, hey, you know, like I'm not having a great week and like, it doesn't mean you have to share everything that's going on in your life because you might have some personal challenges going on or whatnot, um, but certainly if you, if you, a lot of times it's not what we say, but it's how we show up and what we do, and and then other people that are sort of working with us, they pick up on that energetically. They pick up on that without verbalizing it, um, and and even if it's remotely, uh, this still comes through because you know if you're not showing up on time for your clients or showing up on time for meetings with your team members, right? They can pick up on that, and 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 your uh, we train people to relate relate to us, right? Okay. So this is a, yeah, this is a sort of. Uh, a Dr. Phil quote, but um, it's really this idea of that, that that's really the work of the manager and the leader is to really understand how are we showing up for our people. Because if we are asking of our people things that we're not doing ourselves for them, um, they're not going to do it. Like they're just not going to do it and we get frustrated and disappointed. Uh, but it's like you say, if you're not being firm when you need to be firm because that's what they need, then then you're not going to get the result that you're looking for. They're not going to be opening the door. If you're not being vulnerable and you're asking them to be vulnerable with you, it's not going to work, right? So these are the things that, that we need to pay attention to.
1: And, and I mean, one of my... So the biggest point with most clients is start talking to your staff, uh, like doing, doing one-to-ones and those kind of sort of simple management processes. Like I, like so many people struggle with it so much, right? And, and it's very interesting that the level of difference it does. And, and people are always like, oh, but when I talk with people, they won't open up to me. I'm like, are you opening up to them? And they're <laughs> like, well try it right and, and like from from my point of view like I'm, I'm I've always sort of been pretty transparent right like I'm, I'm not the type of person that hides stuff but I, I think fundamentally um, that ability to to show people what you want from them by showing it from yourself that is really for me the a, a big part of leadership right Like again like, like lead by example. Like if, if you expect people to tell you when they're going to a divorce or a tough time, like you have to do the same to them. Like if, if you can't be honest with them, but you're asking them to be honest with you, like that that's not the way the <laughs> that's not the way the world works, generally, right?
0: Yeah. And I think that's it's really interesting that we treat our personal lives a little differently than when we show up at work and we kind of try we try to compartmentalize like this is work or business and this is personal life and and t- typically what happens is, is if you can't show up one way in one place chances are you're not going to show up the same way in another place um and and it's really interesting how that all works but uh, definitely i'm 100 percent with you like you, you, leading by example is really the key
1: and I think, so I actually have the opposite problem, I would say, I, I, <laughs> I, I'm not sure if this is the best way of saying it, but, but I'm sometimes better at showing up at work with who I am than showing who I am at home, if that makes sense. So mm. very often, like I spend a lot of, because I'm doing a lot of things very consciously, I, I really spend a lot of effort in, in my work. And I quite often, when I go home, I feel a little bit drained. Right. Um and I I think very frequently like I, I'm displaying a let's call it a better version of myself at work, exactly because I am spending so much time trying to look at like the right way of doing things and so on. Right. So I I, I, I definitely find that sometimes I'm a better me at work, uh, which which works well in that sense, but it's definitely interesting. And I've seen it over a period of time where, you know, I'm I'm kind of sitting like I would do this work-wise. Why am I not doing that at home?
0: <laughs> I can relate to that. Like, I, I literally had a meltdown two days ago with my wife in the room uh, because of, of work-related you know, pressure and whatnot. Um, and, and this is a huge part of, like, me being married and, and learning how to, to work with this other <clears throat> individual who's, uh, like, my number one supporter, you know, in life. And, um, and she can see that, too, like, echoing what you just said. Like, I, I, it's easy for me to shop like my best self at work and, and be a certain type of person. Uh, and I find it sometimes hard being the same person uh, with my wife. But I think if I break that down, what it is is because our dynamic is a little different. Obviously the stakes are higher at home, right? Um, and Definitely. what I've, what I've learned to to uh, sort of put some focus and tension on this year is to really look at um, where, where am I investing my time and energy? Because I don't want to show up at home with the least energy for the person actually supporting me the most, because it's only a matter of time before shit that person leaves, right? Like it's, it's, and I've seen this with other entrepreneurs, I've seen this with other managers and leaders, um, where we sort of, particularly, uh, I don't want to say it's a male, female thing, but in my world, in my reality, it's, it's mainly men that have this issue, uh, is we, we fully go 100% at the mission or the purpose, whatever it is we're trying to build, um, and, and we, we tend to neglect, the wife or the girlfriend, the boyfriend, the family, the kids, whatever it may be, the parents, right? Um, and, and I think, you know, I'm glad we're talking about this because what I'm starting to understand and realize and, and talking to people like Wayne uh, from Be Ninjas is, you know, no, you do need to find that balance. And it's not always going to be a, a equal balance in, across all paths you know all areas of your life because it, you know it's, it's what richard branson says it's actually an, an integration of parts and so you need to understand okay well where is your highest value where is your highest self uh, and if you're feeling so in your situation matters, so or in my situation where i'm feeling like shit, i'm neglecting my wife here um i need to be conscious about that and i need to actually take actions to change that and i've started to do that like i've started to go look saturday is date day only for my wife Laptop and phone is off um, and just dedicating time and presence for her uh, because she complained for like two years right? Um, and literally got to the point where I'm going, oh my gosh, we need to go to therapy and these sort of things um, and, and then I realized like awakening for myself was if I lose my wife, the business doesn't mean anything to me yeah. Like what's the, what's the point of creating a successful million dollar company If the person I want to celebrate it with isn't there to celebrate it with you know yep. what I mean? Like, like that, that's, I mean, that's the reality of it. So we have to really evaluate that as, as leaders as well.
1: And I think, I mean, for me, it's more, it, it's often one of these things and I, I think that's probably a childhood thing, but you know, I, I think for me, like when I was, when I was younger, like my parents would never talk about work at home. So I've always just been been used to like, I don't bring work stuff home because work stuff stays at work. And I think sometimes that can actually be super helpful, but sometimes again, that kind of, it, it does the opposite of what we were saying with openness, right, the, the challenge is that if you are struggling with something that are, that is running around your head all the time, And your significant others doesn't know what it is. So doesn't, you know, you haven't made it clear that, you know, this thing is running around your head and, you know, they're feeling like of attention or whatever. Like that's, yeah, that's, that's not good either. So you definitely need to find a good balance and you need to be able to share enough to, 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 to make the other person understand well. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so something that's really helped me, you know, and and like I I 100% credit my wife for this, is just scheduling time in like I would schedule meetings with my team members or my leaders or whatever it may be and just going, okay, here's some time to work on the relationship. Now for you, like like I had a similar thing in my family growing up, my parents really didn't talk about work much and the other issue we had was they didn't really talk about money right like that was something that we never spoke about in my family uh and that's caused a lot of problems for me as an adult <laughs> and something i've been having to work through is just money mindsets and like i'm a, I'm a massive spender my wife is a saver and she's the investor uh, and I'm, I'm learning from her like these are the things that that i need to address right um yeah. but like, like anything where we where we put attention and energy to and focus on that that grows but but if we don't do that and we avoid and run away from it and neglect it, it it's just going to get worse so um i've had to consciously sit down and say okay well where where what are the different buckets in my life and where do i sort of put time and energy uh towards you know and and okay look um, this this month maybe we've got a launch of or, or a product or a service or something i have to spend a lot of time there but next month or the following month i have to sort of swing the, the pendulum the other way and go, come and spend more time on a relationship and family, right? So like, like, this is, it's an ongoing learning process. Like there's no real one answer Definitely. for this, as you know, Mads, but it's, um, as, as leaders, again, back to that idea of you have to show up for your people and not just showing up as the stoic, like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terminator at work, like I'm just all business. Um, what people want to see is who are you as a human being? Right, yeah. what, what, how do you shop as that kind of leader? Cause that's, that's the leader they're gonna connect with, right? And when we come with, to work with empathy and we say, look, I totally get it, you're sick, your mom's on, in the hospital bed, look, be there for your mom, man, like that's more important, you know? And yeah. we'll find a way to deal with the work because the work's always gonna be there, it never disappears, all right? Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's all, all parts and we have gotta play with, with juggling all these, these balls. Yep, yeah. No, oh, definitely, definitely. That's
1: an amazing conversation, Anthony. Um, I, I think uh, we, we're, we're getting to the point where we want to round it up a little bit. If people are eager to get in contact with you or know more about you, like what's the best places and how do they best
0: do that? So I'll just give uh, – probably the website is the first place I'd suggest, which is foundersconnect.co. Yep. And then um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So just I'm sure you can just drop that into the show notes. But Anthony, chance to move on LinkedIn. Um, that's yep. the best place to connect with me.
1: Excellent, man. Listen, it was a total pleasure talking with you today. So thanks a lot for joining me here on the show.
0: I appreciate it, Matt. And I love the space you've created for people to talk about management and leadership. Uh, I think uh, your interviews are really profound. So thanks for the time. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.